All right, the, the title of the message this morning is Assignments from God. And uh, before we get into it, though, uh, before we get into Acts chapter 8, we're going to have some other texts, so don't turn there yet. But um, before we get there, um, I want to recap a bit uh, the, where we've come so far and, and some, some facts about the book of Acts. So if you bear with me. Uh, the book of Acts is unique. It, it really is an addendum or an add-on to the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote it, and um, to this fellow named Theophilus. And, um, but it's not a gospel, and it's not, not really like the epistles. Uh, uh, it, what it is, is um, a, a history of the beginning of the New Covenant Church. And that was quite a process. Uh, the full title is The Acts of the Apostles. But in fact, whoops, in fact, there's really only two apostles that predominate here. Uh, P, that's Peter and Paul. Uh, James and John are here. Uh, and the other apostles are uh, assumed to be active, but we don't really hear from them. Uh, James and John are also present, um, but not in the kind of role that Peter and Paul had. Uh, John kind of buddied up with Peter in the, in the early going here, and uh, they were quite a good team. Um, but it was predominantly Peter doing everything. And um, it, as I mentioned, it Acts chronicles the establishment of the New Covenant Church. Now, um, the Holy Spirit then takes center stage in the book of Acts for the first time. Uh, the Holy Spirit was not previously available. Um, in John chapter 7, uh, verses 37 through 39, it tells us that in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, we covered this uh, 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 last July when uh, many of our folks were down on the missions trip to Mississippi. And we talked about this uh, in conjunction with a, a lot of Old Testament scriptures and so on. The Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And in the Gospel of John, we see the promise of the Holy Spirit as Jesus relates it to us in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. The, comf the Comforter shall come. But it was still yet future at that time. Um, now, it's kind of a, an interesting thing with, uh, with the Gospels and then, uh, and then as we get into the New Covenant because the Gospels are in the New Testament, but the Gospels are not New Covenant. And that's a little bit confusing. When you're in the Gospels, you're still in the Old Covenant. You're prior to the cross and to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit not being available. And uh, that's just the way that works out. Um, so um, in the book of Acts, the miracles of, of Jesus continued. Uh, Jesus did not perform them, obviously. Uh, he was, had, had ascended in Acts chapter 1, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But um, 
the, the miracles continued. For instance, Peter in Acts chapter 3, as Pastor Ken had, uh, related the, the, uh, the whole story to us, uh, was enter Peter and John were enter entering the temple, and the lame man was there begging alms, and, uh, and uh, Peter s said, I don't have anything for you, but uh, uh, except uh, I, would, I would like to tell you that, uh, and he reached down and grabbed his hand and said, rise up and walk. And you, you remember he rose up and he went leaping around the temple, uh, rejoicing at what God had done. Uh, so we have the miracles uh, still in play here. And um, in Acts chapter 7, it tells us that Stephen did many signs and wonders in front of the people. And we'll also see that with Philip in Acts chapter 8, many signs and wonders. Um, now, uh, Acts spans approximately 40 years, and it's known as the Apostolic Age. Uh, it began roughly A.D. 30, when the Lord went to the cross, and then Pentecost began, or, or, or happened. And uh, it ended at A.D. 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem and the, the temple by uh, Titus's army. Uh, by the way, you know, Titus just didn't decide to come down and destroy the thing. Um, Israel actually mounted an insurrection to try to throw off Roman rule, and that's what prompted the response on the part of Rome, and uh, Titus was sent down uh, to uh, accomplish that. And uh, So, uh, a 40-year span known as the Apostolic Age. Before it, there was no church, and after it, the, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit was fully av available to everyone during and after, and uh, the church was, was established and underway by the time A.D. 70 came. Now, an interesting side note here is concerning Pentecostal Christians. Pentecostal Christians kind of camp out here. For instance, many Pentecostals, because there were 50 days between the cross and Pentecost, uh, when someone comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they'll wait 50 days, and then they'll have kind of a laying out of hands for them to receive the Holy Spirit because of that 50-day span. So if you're not careful with Acts, because it is so unique, uh, you, you can really get off uh, in, into some trouble. But um, that's uh, kind of the way they did it, or they do it. Um, now, the New Covenant, then, is brand new, starting off in the book of Acts. And many things must be set in order. Uh, for instance, the law must give way to grace. Uh, there's a metamorphosis. God's nation changes from a physical, earthly entity to the church of Jesus Christ. Now, this created a lot of havoc amongst the, the Jews because they didn't understand this transition this metamorphosis. So in Acts chapter 15, which we'll eventually get to down the road here, um, they had a council at Jerusalem to straighten all these things out. And there were believing Pharisees there, they were believers, that said um, that uh, the, the Gentiles are, should be required to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses. So they had quite a dispute and quite a debate over that. And uh, so that's going to be in Acts chapter 15 where they straightened all that out. And that'll be an interesting chapter. And uh, also, the other thing that's brand new is the Gentiles being brought into the picture, 
who were formerly not a people. Uh, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now the Gentiles were, uh, there were some Gentile converts in the Old Covenant, converts to Judaism, but they were called strangers in the land. And um, for the most part, Israel was not charged with evangelizing the world. When Joshua led the children of Israel across the Jordan River and they began the conquest of the land, God instructed them to destroy everyone, man, woman, and child, as they conquered the land. Now, there were other nations round about which they did not destroy, uh, some that they were supposed to that they didn't, and others that uh, were just out of reach and, and so on. And from, from those nations came a, an occasional um, a proselyte or Gentile convert. And when Pastor Ken was taking us through the book of Ruth, uh, we noticed that uh, that was the case there. So, um, are you in Ephesians chapter 2? We're going to pick it up with verse... Um, 11, and we're going to flow on into chapter 3 a little bit. Concerning the Gentiles. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called circumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, the, the Jews called the Gentiles uncircumcised, which they were, physically speaking, Verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So that was the, the lot, the state of, of the Gentiles. They were out of the picture, except, as, a, as I mentioned, a, a few proselytes uh, that came along here and there, a few uh, converts to Judaism. So they had no hope, and they were without God in the world. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity or hostility, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Now, peace between Jew and Gentile was a rare commodity, basically speaking. Um, the, the, the Jews called them dogs, and uh, they were just not in the picture. Uh, even the, the Gentile nations that still existed around about Israel, Israel was not to have anything to do with them, lest they learn their ways. And... Uh, so um, it, it was definitely a, a distinct uh, partition that was between them. So um, verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby putting to death the hostility, the enmity. 
And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, the Gentiles, and to those who were near, the Jews. Verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. That's that, there's that word strangers. They were strangers in the land back then. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So no more hostility, no more enmity between the two. They were to come together in peace and that was accomplished at the cross of Jesus Christ and then as he poured out his spirit in, at Pentecost. Now as we, let's flow into, we're gonna flow into Ephesians 3 for just a moment because there's a mystery here that Paul wants to explain to us. Now the word mystery in the Bible means something hidden that was hidden and Paul is now gonna reveal it. So in Ephesians chapter 3 verse one, he says for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which you read, you may, uh, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. When he says, as, uh, as I have briefly written already, he's talking about chapter 2 that we just went through. Verse 4, by which when you read, you may understand the knowledge in my mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the spirit of his holy apostles, to, to, by the spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, here's the thing in the Old Testament. The Jews knew that one day the Gentiles would be included in God's program. But the mystery that Paul reveals here is that they would be one. That's what was not uh, to happen in the Old Covenant. They were separate. But they knew that the, the Jews knew that the Gentiles would one day be included. Um, and... Um, Isaiah chapter 10 verse 11, or 11 verse 10, uh, tells us that um, uh, a root of Jesse will, will rise up and he will be a banner, this is Christ, he will be a banner and the Gentiles shall seek him. And that's way back in Isaiah's prophecy. So the Jews knew about this. All right, now, uh, John 3.16, which we're all familiar with, is really, uh, speaking of banners, is really a banner verse that heralds forth the new covenant. It's really a covenant verse that's uh, plunked right in the middle of, of, of the Gospels. If there were a John 3.16 of the old covenant, it would say, for God so loved Israel. But now, John 3, this John 3.16 that we know and love says, for God so loved the world, 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The gospel now is open to the whole world, uh, whether you live in Argentina or China or Israel or the United States or North Korea or wherever it is. Everyone is, it, all, all nations, the gospel has gone forth to and will continue to go forth to, and uh, the Holy Spirit operates throughout the whole world in the new covenant. But here's the thing with the book of Acts. Our God is a God of order. There has to be order to this. There, this has to be an orderly process, and it is an orderly process of getting into the new covenant from just Israel to the entire world, to including the Gentiles, and at the same time not excluding Israel, not excluding the Jews. Um, now, um, so how did God orchestrate this? Well, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, there's a key verse here. This is a key verse, Romans 1, 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or Gentile. Now, he's not saying anyone is better than anyone here because God is not a respecter of persons. Everyone's equal. The, gr the, cross, the ground is level at the cross in the new covenant. Amen? Um, but he is saying, because the Jews were his original people with which he dealt, I'm going to bring them in first, and then the Gentiles will also come. Now, sandwiched in between those two are the Samaritans. And the Samaritans are the half-Jew, half-Gentile people, uh, that uh, are the result of the divided kingdom after Solomon's reign uh, that eventually uh, became so, um, uh, so debauched in their lifestyle and disobedient to God that he allowed the king of Assyria to come and take them captive and they intermar intermarried with the Assyrians so we get this half-breed of half-Jew and half-Gentile. Which, when you, if you recall in John chapter 4, when Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman at the well, she said to him, the Jews don't have, what are you doing talking to me? The Jews don't have anything to do with the Samaritans. And that was true. But that middle wall of partition is also broken down. So the Samaritans are sandwiched in between. His process is going to be the Jew first, then the half-Jew, half-Gentile, as we will see, and that's where we'll be in Acts uh, chapter 8. And then finally, the Gentiles. All right? So it's very skilled surgery that the Lord has uh, ordained here. Um, so uh, where have we come so far now in, in the book of Acts? Well, in Acts chapter 2 through 4, indeed, we saw the Jews coming in. Peter preached to the Jews exclusively. And uh, in Acts chapter 2, and then in Acts chapter 3, the, he preached again, uh, in, and uh, a, an additional number, the, the original uh, Jews in, at Pentecost, uh, 3,000 were saved, and then uh, in Acts chapter 4, uh, we had another 5,000. So immediately, 8,000 Jews were saved. Now in Acts chapter 5, we saw the situation with the lie of Ananias and Sapphira concerning selling the land. In Acts chapter 6, the uh, uh, inclusion of deacons in the process of the church. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of the deacons, 
Many signs and wonders were performed by him, and he was martyred. Um, now today, we're going to get into Acts chapter 8, and Philip evangelizing the Samaritans, which is the second group. So um, uh, I'd like you to turn there, if you would, to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to get into the meat of the message, assignments from God. So before we uh, proceed any further, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, uh, this tremendous uh, book of Acts and, and the process that you ordained to um, uh, uh, take care of the uh, inception of the new covenant and everything that had to be taken care of. Father, we just uh, uh, thank you that we can be privy to this and that we come to, can come to understand exactly what's happening here and just marvel at uh, the things that you accomplished. Lord, we uh, just thank you for this time now and just uh, pray that everything would renown to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the, this, again, the title of the message is Assignments from God. Now, every Christian has one or more assignments given by God. Some are short-term, some are long-term. Um, some are fairly simple, some are complex. And uh, everyone has at least one or more assignment that God gives them. Now, um, I mentioned that some are simple and some are complex, but none are insignificant. None are insignificant. Uh, the simplest task is important to God for you and I to perform. Um, now, we don't have to look under a rock for them for we are gifted and motivated by God to perform them. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, and verses 12 and 13, give us the, the balance between our role in, a, in, in working with uh, uh, these assignments, or, or areas of service, if you'd like to call it that, and also God's role in it. In, in Philippians 12, 2 and 13, it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. What an amazing balance that we see here. God is at work in us to finesse us, if you will, into the area of service or areas of service that he wants us to engage in. And at the same time, we're working it out as he, as he moves us step by step into the process of whatever ministry that uh, we're called to be involved in. Could be one, could be several ministries. And so, but we have to do our part. We can't stand there like a stone and, and just expect God to just say, okay, plunk, and wind you up and turn you loose. We have to be involved in it. And we can sense his leading by the gifts he's given us, the gifts and talents, and so on. Um, so we don't have to look under a rock uh, for these, for they are gifted and motivated by God. Now, here's the question that I have for you today. Do you have an assignment from God? Do you have an assignment from God? If not, there's a problem if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that could be one of the problems. But assuming that you do, 
uh, there's a couple of prerequisites that I'd like to share with you. One is you must be faithful. And by the way, if, if God has given you a little assignment and you want a bigger one, I hope you're not coveting that bigger one, but if you see it and you really, in your spirit, sense that you'd like to do that, uh, the parable of the dishonest steward tells us that he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. He who is faithful as little is faithful in much. If we expect God to, to, to really grow us in our areas of service, we have to be faithful in what he's put us in to begin with. Amen? Um, now, um, so faithfulness is one of the prerequisites. The other one is obedience. We must be obedient Christians. Now, we're not perfect, and God doesn't expect us to be. But, of course, part of that obedience is when we're not perfect, confessing whatever it is we need to confess to God and taking care of it. That's being obedient. And uh, that's part of the process. Now, Peter was given an assignment from the Lord. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. Now I want you to be thinking about Pentecost and Peter preaching to the Jews. And ultimately, 8,000 of them being saved, hearing in their own dialect as the Holy Spirit translated for them what Peter was saying. I want you to think about him as we read this. Matthew 16, verse 13, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are Christ, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice Simon Peter jumped right in there. He's the one that answered with the other 11 standing by. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17 Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now let's examine what happened here. In verse 17, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So, the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, provided that information for, for Peter to give that answer. He indicated that somehow to Peter, um, spiritually speaking. So 
The Lord, knowing, of course, that Peter would be the responder and the way he would respond, said to him, in verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, Peter, the word for that is a stone. It's about the size, you know, you could, you could jostle it in your hand. If I, had, if I had any throwing arm left, I could probably hit whoever's in the booth back there. Is that David? <laughs> but not these days. But I might be able to get it as far as Pastor Ken. So that's, that's what Peter is. And then he says, on this rock. Now that word is a, 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 a piece of bedrock large enough to build a house on. Large enough to build a house on. Upon this rock, a large rocky mass, I will build my church. So, Here's insignificant Peter, just this little stone, given this huge assignment. Something that represents a huge assignment for him. And what could that be? We've already seen Peter at the forefront in Acts chapter 2 through 4, preaching to the Jews. The gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And God is a God of order. So there's Peter. So let's see what happens here and see if this continues. Now, keep in mind that this, this incredible task that Peter has just received from the Lord and the confidence that the Lord had in him is not going to be abated by the fact that a short, not too long after this, he ended up denying the Lord three times. You know, he, he got, our Lord understands our frailties, and, and he also understands where we're at in the process of growth and so on. And we can mess up sometimes something terrible, and he'll, we'll, he will never abandon us. He will never forsake us. And he gave Peter this assignment before he denied him, and Peter wound up denying him, and the assignment still carried through. All right, in Acts chapter 8 then, the Jews have come in. Peter has cared for that need in Acts chapter 2 through 4. So now let's move into Acts chapter 8. Stephen was martyred in Acts chapter 7, and verse 1 here says, Now Saul was consenting to his death. Remember, Saul was, was watching over the coats and stuff or whatever, and he was just standing by. He was in agreement with the stoning of Stephen. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church was at Jerusalem, that was, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So uh, this persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. So they were all at Jerusalem, the, the apostles included, and, but the saints were scattered. But... The apostles remained in Jerusalem. That's important to, to remember that. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judah and Samaria, except the apostles. And then verse 2 says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. He was, he was so loved by the people and uh, such a tremendous leader. 
Verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So certainly Saul is a big part of that persecution. Now, what we want to see, we don't want to dwell on the persecution as much as we want to dwell on the effect of the persecution. And we're going to see that beginning in verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered... Now, remember, the apostles are still in Jerusalem, but the rest of them are scattered. Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Everywhere preaching the word. They were dispersed all over the area, and they went preaching the word. So we see a cause and effect here. We see that, that uh, uh, we see this persecution arising, and then we see the effect of it in that they are scattered and, and, and preaching all over the place. Now, God was not on vacation here, and he was not just standing by somewhere, kind of observing this and wondering what was going on. He ordained this. He brings these things into our lives, these, these uh, trials, and James, and what does James say about him? James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Amen? Count it all joy. And Romans 8.28 says uh, that, um, somebody get me started. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Thanks, Ken. And um, I, didn't, I didn't put that one on my paper. So. <laughs> but that one's always, that's, that's one of our memorization verses, and uh, my memorization went out of my memory, so... Thank you. Um, so, uh, when a persecution arises, or any event that arises in our lives that that throws us off in, in, into some, that, that throws us all out of our comfort zone, we need to rejoice because God is up to something. Now, a few years ago, um, I was diagnosed with a little bit of cancer, and you know what they do when. Uh, when, when you have any kind of cancer, is they scan, they do a CAT scan of your whole body to make sure that they, they know where everything, you know, that there's no, nothing else somewhere else. So I went down to Highland Hospital, and the tech there brought me into this little room. It's probably not any bigger than like half the size of this, of this room over here. It was a very small room. There were two or three other people in there. I assume they were cancer patients also, and the reason I assume that is because we were all given this gook to drink. It's awful chalky tasting stuff. Because, and, and I had to drink five cups of it. You know they actually ask you what flavor you want? And, and it's all awful. You know, it's terrible. But I had to drink five cups of this, and the other two or three people that were in that room with me were in various stages of, of glugging theirs down. And because uh, it makes things show up on the CAT scan. So um, these other two or three people that were there with me were very dejected. And I, I assume because they were drinking the same stuff, they were going to have a CAT scan and they probably had cancer. But they were very worried looking and, and dejected. I was not. I mean, when the doctor, after they took the biopsy and it was malignant, the doctor called the house and he could hardly get the words out to tell me that I had cancer. 
He was so afraid that I was going to have some kind of wild reaction to hearing the news or something. But I finally figured out after a while that that's what he was saying. And uh, so then we went on from there. But here I am in this room, and um, the, the tech came in to see how everybody was doing with their drinks before, because we had to get it down before we could go to, the, uh, to have the CAT scan done. And, um, and he said to me, you know, he had already ushered the other three out for theirs, and, and I was in there alone. He came in and he sat down and he looked across at me and he said, you're, you're too happy for this. You're, you're not like the other people that were in here. What, what is the deal? I mean, what, why are you not worried and all dejected? And folks, there's an opportunity. I mean, there's an opportunity and I couldn't pass it up. So I said, well, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He's in charge of my life. He can do with any, whatever he desires with it. So he just looked at me kind of stunned. And then I thought I was all excited now because I thought, oh boy, now I'm going to get into a complete witness. He got up and left the room. <laughs> you know, you, you really have to be patient with the Lord because... because I mean, he can really, you know, what, Lord, what? <laughs> what did you do? And um, so, but he went off to go, apparently to go over and, and uh, make sure the machine was all ready for, for my CAT scan. And he came back uh, to get me. And I thought, oh, here's my chance. But he said, come on, follow me. So I didn't have that chance. So he, but he took me over to the room where the CAT scan, CAT scan machine was. And here was another tech prepping the machine. So he and I stood there while the other tech is over prepping the machine and we're standing there. So he asked me, I was going to start to speak, but he asked me about, you know, my relationship with Jesus Christ. So I gave him a complete gospel witness. I, I, was, I had time because of the time it took to, to prep the machine. To, to get a complete gospel witness out. And guess who else heard it? The other tech. He was only about eight feet away. He was not responding. You know, he, did, he just went about his work, but he heard it also. So, um, uh, none, uh, not, needless to say, I was praising the Lord about that. And, but that's the reason. See, when, when I was diagnosed with that cancer and I got the phone call from the doctor, I knew God was up to something. I didn't know what. And you need to know that as a believer in Jesus Christ. That when God upsets the apple cart, he's got something going on for you. And, uh, and he'll lead you right through it. He'll lead you right through it. So, anyway, back to the uh, story here in, in uh, verse 4 of chapter 8. Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Peter and the other apostles are still in Jerusalem, remember. They, they didn't get scattered. So, uh, and the multitudes, verse 6, with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So now we have these miracles again. 
For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now, in the, in the next few verses, we have a, 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 someone else coming on the scene known as Simon the Sorcerer, and Pastor Mike's going to deal with him next week. So we're going to skip down to verse 14 and pick it up. And it says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. Wait a minute. We're in the new covenant. The Holy Spirit has been poured out at Pentecost. If the Holy Spirit fell upon the Jews that Peter preached to, but here he had fallen upon none of them as yet. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, verse 17, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now this is another trip up for the Pentecostals because they see this, and this, this bolsters their idea that the Holy Spirit lags for a while, and they a lot of times use this 50-day span. That's not what's going on here at all. What's happening here is Peter was not there. The apostles were still in Jerusalem, and Philip was here uh, and preached the gospel to the Samaritans, and they believed. But Peter was not there. Now Peter shows up, and now they receive the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4, preaching to the Jews, the Holy Spirit fell on them immediately. And here in Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit did not fall on them. Peter shows up, and now they receive the Holy Spirit. So uh, I'd like you to keep your place here and I want, I want you to look ahead at the final group, the Gentiles. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Peter is at Cornelius' house. These are Gentiles. The Gentiles have, as yet have not been included. And in verse 34... Acts 10, 34, then Peter opened his mouth, he's at the house, he opened his mouth and said, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Not just Israel anymore, in every nation. Verse 36, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. 
And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his, through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Verse 44 is key now. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word in Cornelius' house, all those Gentiles. Why? Because Peter was there. Peter was present. No delay this time. The only place he wasn't present was uh, in, in, uh, uh, with the, the Samaritans. So he had to take care of it when he showed up. So that was Peter's task that the Lord gave to him. Now, the Jews then received the Holy Spirit immediately. The Gentile household of Cornelius received the Holy Spirit immediately. Why? Because Peter was there. When God ordains something to be done a certain way, there's no changing it. When God calls you into whatever area of service he wants to call you into, he's going to do it in a certain way, and there's no changing that. There is no changing it. So whatever he has called you to do, there's no shortcuts. So following the salvation of Cornelius' household, Peter quickly fades from the scene. Job over. Job done. It soon becomes the situation of Paul, people like Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, Paul's missionary journeys, and so on. Very little is heard of Peter following that. So the question then again for, for you and I is, do we have an assignment from God? No matter how small, no matter how large, no matter how long-term or short-term, do you have an assignment from God? It could be temporary. Uh, it could be that, that assignment he gave me at the hospital was, was momentary, and uh, then it was over with. But I would challenge you today to examine yourselves, as, we're, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we're told, and uh, determine whether or not uh, you just come to church and sit and then go home and and then come to church the next week and sit, um, and there's nothing else. If there's nothing else, we all need to take stock if that's the case. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, uh, this time that we can examine uh, the uh, 